and we're going to read a familiar passage here, but um, a little, uh, maybe go at a little different angle, kind of use this uh, uh, to uh, talk about some other things. I'll show you in a moment here. But John chapter 6, let's begin reading there at verse 1. John 6, St. John 6 and verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said, or saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two uh, small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was uh, much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were uh, set down. And likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. And that's what I want to focus on tonight, that verse, uh, really that phrase, that nothing be lost. That's what I've entitled the message. But let me read a couple more verses. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had uh, seen the, the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come uh, into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Our Heavenly Father, now give, give wisdom and direction here this evening. I pray for your power and for your uh, complete control of this service. And, and I also pray that those that are here this evening would, be, would receive a blessing from your word and would uh, truly have a thirst and a hunger for the things that uh, pertain to you. So your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our text that uh, there in, found in verse 12, that nothing be lost. By the way, I've often thought this, but wouldn't it be something that little boy just had that lunch for himself? And of course, Jesus multiplies it, feeds thousands, and still has 12 baskets left over. Wouldn't it be amazing? He goes home and says, Mom, look here, uh, what I've got. And, and uh, just an amazing thing of what God had done, a miracle. But I, I got to thinking about that phrase, that nothing be lost. You know, it's God's will that he lose none, uh, that all that come unto him should, he will receive. He doesn't want to lose a soul. In fact, in, in 2 Peter, he says uh, he's not willing that any should perish, that anyone should go to hell, but that all should come to repentance. So, uh, but here's the thing. He leaves the choice up to every man and, and woman, every individual. And so he could program us like a robot or a computer and say, okay, you're going to trust me, you're going to do this. But that wouldn't be love. 
That wouldn't be a choice. And so he wants us to choose to love him, to follow him. And so the fragments that remained were greater than what that little boy had originally. And anything you give God that he will take it or make it greater and take it further than you ever could imagine. After you give it to the Lord, uh, it, it's kind of like, you know, I, I do believe that according to the Bible that we should tithe. But that's uh, between every individual and the Lord. That's not my business what you do with your money, none of mine at all. But I will say this, I have found that when I obeyed the Lord in that area, God has the ability to stretch a dollar far, much farther than I do. <clears throat> and so God, when we trust him, when we obey him, trust and obey, he will uh, uh, abundantly bless and provide. But many Christians feel that since they, they are a Christian, you know, I'm saved, I can't lose anything. Well, it's true that once you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you receive eternal life. You have, that can never be taken away. It's forever. And you have that eternal life, you, you, uh, that eternal security. And, uh, uh, but you can lose, you can't lose your salvation. That's what I'm trying to establish there. Uh, now, all of us, or I would say many of us, we can lose things, right? Uh, we may lose our keys. We may... Hopefully we won't lose our minds, but that could happen too. But I will say this, uh, that's one thing about our salvation. We may lose our minds, we may lose everything, but we will never lose our salvation. That is a relationship that we have with God that cannot be changed. And it all hinges on our decision to trust Christ as our Savior. But a Christian can lose some things, and that's what I want to talk about tonight. Uh, the Lord was concerned about all those leftovers, that nothing go to waste, that nothing be lost. The Lord is more concerned about what he has given us and about uh, that there, there be nothing lost in our Christian lives. And I, I hope to explain that a little more in detail. But in 2 John, verse 8, 2 John, there's only one book there, but one letter, it says, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Of course, he's dealing with uh, um, uh, those that are anti-Christ, little a, those that are, are teaching uh, false things about Jesus Christ. And you don't want to lose uh, that truth. We live in a day where there are and I don't even know the, the final count now, but there's well over 200 different translations of the Bible. Some of them are very bad. They're just uh, uh, paraphrases. They're not even really a translation at all. Uh, but anyway, so that adds to some of the confusion because they have taken the Bible like they have done it with our history books, and they've tried to rewrite it to make it fit into our society today so um, they want a bible that is more acceptable to those that are living in sinful ways according to the the actual word of god and so it's you know you go into a bookstore now and you you buy, buy a bible the best thing i would say my advice is just stick with the old king james and you're closest to the original languages of hebrew and greek and latin 
Aramaic. So, uh, but nonetheless, uh, the, the devil has done his best to try to uh, misguide or, or confuse uh, believers, and sometimes they can lose their, their place as far as uh, uh, if they're confused about matters, they're not going to be able to teach others. They're not going to be able to stand and, uh, on the truth. So a Christian uh, never gets too old to fall. And if you have an attitude that says, well, I will never, uh, you know, forsake the Lord. I'll never, just like Peter did. And we know what, what happened with Peter. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You and I don't have the strength in and of ourselves to stand on our own. With the Lord, yes, we can, and we will be victorious. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 talks about that standing in the Lord, putting on that armor of God and preparing for the, the battle, the spiritual battle that rages around us. But, uh, but take heed. Uh, don't get to the, the we, may we never get to the place where we're arrogant and we think, well, we can handle anything. So we don't really need to, you know, we don't need to read the Bible all the time. We don't need to pray. We don't need to go to church. Um, let me take you to a, another passage, 2 Peter. Keep your finger there in John. <clears throat> but 2 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to head back that way with you. 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're, we're going to look at verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. And we'll read down to verse 8. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world uh, of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow um, making them an example unto those that are, are after should live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, vexed in the filthy conversation of the wicked. Now, we've often said, or I have, if all we had was the account of Lot in the Old Testament, I would have thought, man, that man never made it to heaven. Yeah, you, you, most of you know, you've read the account of Lot, but Lot done some pretty miserable things, and uh, even with his family, and it's a horrible uh, testimony. But we find out here in the New Testament, hey, this man was actually a believer. Just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Uh, he chose to live like the world. But that, in verse 8, that righteous man, that's Lot, righteous was among them, and all that means is he didn't live righteously, but he was a uh, he put his faith in God, and he is uh, uh, with God, but he chose to dishonor the Lord with his life. And that righteous man dwelleth among them in seeing and hearing, vexed, and that, this is the, uh, one of the things I want you to notice as well. He vexed his soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. A lot of problems. What I, and that's one of the first ones I want to point out. A Christian lost something. Lot lost something. In Genesis chapter 13, <coughs> we 
we can read the account of Lot. You, most of you know that story. But he lost his family because he disobeyed God. Uh, Lot put himself first. You remember when they went out there, they had a problem. Abraham's herdsman and Lot's herdsman, Lot being Abraham's nephew. And they said uh, they were, there was some fighting because they didn't have enough ground and, uh, for all the cattle and the, uh, all the livestock. So Abraham says, listen, Lot, you look all around this land here. You choose whatever you want, and I'll take the other side. So Lot looked. <clears throat> he looked upon Sodom and Gomorrah, and he saw the green hills, the lush fields, and he chose what he thought would be the best for himself. And looked and, and gave Abraham what looked to be not very good property at all. And so Lot was thinking of himself even there, and he continued to do that. He looked for the wealth of this world. Not only did he choose that land, it did not work out for him. Abraham was blessed immensely. Lot, not so much so, because he had his eyes on Sodom and Gomorrah. It was not enough to pitch his tent toward Sodom, he went down to live in Sodom. And so uh, the, the greatest responsibility for a father or a mother is their family. Lot, being a father, forgot that great responsibility. Lot was thinking of himself. And that happens today as well, doesn't it? We need to be careful. Uh, especially you uh, fathers of young children, understand, and I, I hope you do, the, uh, the awesome responsibility that a father has, that a husband has uh, to his wife and to his children. But the devil wants Christian families more than any other. And he's going to do everything he can to bring down a godly family. So know that, understand that, and uh, do not be deceived by uh, the wiles of the devil. But you are a child of God, but you ought to ask God, you ought to pray fervently for your children that God would put guardian angels around your family and would keep them uh, safe, would keep them uh, from harm, from making foolish decisions. And I, I hope, uh, you know, it doesn't matter really what age your child is, uh, that you are praying towards that end. Uh, pray for them and pray that uh, God would put that hedge of protection around them and to keep them from uh, sub submitting, giving in to the temptations of this world. Let's not be naive to think, oh, that's above me or my children. They would never do anything uh, that's wrong. It, it's surprising, it really is, when uh, so many people today used to be when you got in trouble at school, you went at home, and you, you know, you didn't try to say anything, but word got there before you got there usually. And uh, mom didn't uh, greet you at the door and say, listen, son, your dad's in the car. He's waiting. We're going back to that school, and we're going to give them a piece of our mind. No, they gave you something, I'm sure. If it was like in my case, uh, they, didn't, uh, they didn't go and storm the, the school and demand that um, justice be done on their behalf and that their little Johnny would never do anything wrong. Uh, one thing I do like is that there are so many cameras now where all they do is pop the, the tape in, and, and some parents, quite honestly, 
You've seen it, ball games, right? If you've ever been to any ball, children's ball games, some of those parents are the worst problem. The cursing, the hollering, the screaming. Do that, they'll come to the school, they're cursing, they're saying their little daughter will never do that, and then they put the tape in, and right there it is. Uh, silences them pretty quick, but um, it is our responsibility that we, uh, we pray for them, that God would put a, a shield about them. We know that our children are born sinners, that we were born a sinner, that we have that sinful nature. And so we have to battle that nature all the time. So why would we think that my child would never, no way, God or she's got a sinful nature, and she is capable capable of doing uh, things that are obviously wrong. But your first parents, your first responsibility is your family. I would say some of the things I've heard across the nation that are being taught to children, uh, I, honestly, I, I wouldn't allow that. I'd take my child out. You say, well, Pastor, we pay taxes. I know <clears throat> we do, but um, my child is more important. I will not allow them to be indoctrinated <clears throat> by, uh, by a cultish view of things. And it really is. It has come down to that. Not everywhere. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out. Parents, we need to be very um, cautious and responsible for our families. Now, oftentimes we're fooled into thinking that if, boy, if I only work more, get, work some more overtime and really uh, bring in the money, I'll be able to get that new car. I'll be able to get that new home. I'll be able to get that uh, boat, that swimming pool, blah, 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 everything, whatever else. And we're thinking, if I, if I get all these things, then I will have a happy home. Well, if that has been your goal, to strive to find happiness through the material things of this world, you have found it doesn't work. It doesn't bring happiness, not at all. Uh, but what they really need is more of our time. And, and, and again, I don't care what their age is. Uh, you, you that are, have older children, you know how it is. They still call. There's still some needs that they may have, maybe just something, some advice, some counsel. Well, be there for them. Grandchildren, be there for them. Guide them and direct them. And uh, give them your time. And if a father, what, what, what children need today is a father who puts the Lord first. Lot failed to do that. Lot put himself first. Lot put himself before his own family. And we see he paid a dear price. And, and may we never be fooled like Lot was into thinking that uh, we can pitch our tents towards Sodom and it will have no effect on our family. Uh, we need to be careful of the exposure uh, of this world. I, you know, I, I often heard people say, well, you don't want to to be isolated, uh, to be cut off from the world. But listen, folks, we don't want our children to be exposed to everything. What our society has done has robbed many children of their innocency. That's a, I, I, you know, I could go in detail, but I'm not going to do that. That's not, here's not the place nor the time. But uh, they have been robbed of their innocency. There's children that know more about things in this world than I knew when I was in high school and college. 
and it ought not be. Isn't it sad when you have uh, leaders who are indoctrinating children to change their bodies physically? And uh, isn't it interesting that, and I, I don't have the numbers before me, but how many uh, children have had this coming out experience? And why is that? Why are the numbers shot up so drastically? Because they are being indoctrinated. Their minds are open to uh, uh, things being taught to them. So I would say, father, mother, remember, it's your responsibility. Um, if they are not going to change things, then you need to do whatever is necessary. But I'm talking about Lot here. Um, never, you know, I, I guess when he, he forgot about his family, he was dwelling on what his own riches or whatever he thought he could gain. But never think that you or your children are too strong to fall or to fail. The devil is an old war veteran who has been fighting this battle since the Garden of Eden. He knows he, he is very wise, very powerful. Don't think that you can handle him. Not on your own you can't. No, none of us can. We must rely upon the strength of the Lord. We uh, we are to protect our families and steer them clear of sin. Well, I think they ought to experience. No, no, no. They don't have to. I don't want my child to um, go into a, a fire so they can experience what it's like to be burned. Tell them it hurts. <laughs> Stay away from that. I, I don't want them to experience what might happen if they go and play in the traffic. No. You just tell them, no, you can't do that. Don't do that. Steer them clear from the dangers of this world. Any loving mother or father would do that. Well, the spiritual things that are very dangerous to their life, we must also steer them from the sin in this world. And they don't have to experience all those things. Let them have their youth. Let them enjoy their childhood. So many kids have been robbed of that. It's sad to see. And then secondly, I want to talk about another man. Lot lost his family. Lot, uh, uh, you know, of course, his daughters, his wife, it's, it's, a, it's just a mess. He lost everything because he chose to uh, live for himself. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. And then David, I want to talk about David. He lost something too. David lost something that is your strength if you've got it, and it's your weakness if you don't have it. Uh, he lost his joy. Turn with me to the book of Psalm 51. Psalm 51. I love this chapter here because this is where David repents. This is the, the picture of David getting right with God after his sin with Bathsheba. And uh, we're not going to read it all, but look with me at verse, verse 12. <clears throat> Psalm 51 and verse 12. It's David's prayer, and he says in this prayer, in verse 12, talking to the Lord, Restore unto me the, what? The joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. And so he's praying that God would restore the joy. In other words, David realized he had lost his joy. And why had he lost his joy? Well, because of sin. It's, it's interesting to see that one sin leads to another. The sin of adultery David committed with uh, Bathsheba led to a murder. 
uh, having her husband killed. That murder then led to lie after lie trying to cover up his sins. And the thing about lying is you have to remember what your first lie was, and oftentimes a person that's a habitual liar uh, gets caught over and over because they can't remember what was the, they can't even remember what the truth is. Uh, they've told many lies. And, but one sin leads to another. As Christians, we can lose our joy by allowing sin into our lives. I, I know the world has a different definition of what fun, uh, what happiness is. But I'll be honest with you. I have, I have worked with many drunks, drug addicts, uh, people that we would say were down and out. And they might have had a level of joy and experienced some pleasure for a time. But when I was talking to them, there was no joy there. Their families were destroyed. I, I couldn't tell you how many times I've sat with a, a young woman who's lost, who's had her children physically removed from them of the drugs and the abuse and other things. And um, there's no joy there now. They've been destroyed. And that's, that's what sin does. Now, we, uh, we need to remember as Christians, we can lose our joy by opening the door, allowing sin into our lives. You can lose joy by getting the wrong spirit towards another Christian. You know, how will they know, say, how will the world know that we are Christians? Does anybody remember? By our love for one another, brothers and sisters. Now, now look, like any family relationship, I'm sure there are times in, in every family that there's maybe some arguments Paul, you never get in an argument with your brother, do you? Okay, so he's honest, see? And, and that's usually the case. And that's my point. Thank you. Um, and there are things, that, you know, when you have people from different backgrounds, different uh, upbringings, and you bring them together in one family in the church, there are going to be some differences. But there is nothing, there ought not be anything that would drive a wedge between our relationship with one another that we ought to be able to look over those things. Oh, well, uh, Brother Charles likes to drive Chevy. Well, that's great. Uh, maybe I don't like Chevy. I like any car that runs, honestly, but I do like Chevys. But, um, but you know, there are some people that say, oh, some like the Cardinals, some like the Cubs, or a few of us like the Cubs. And, um, and, and so there are, there's always different, and there's even some, maybe some greater differences. Well, because of, and again, but nothing doctrinal. This book right here is what unifies us. We can come together, all the differences. Do you think it was that way in the early church in the book of Acts? Of course it was. These people had all kinds of, they were different in um, cultures and all kinds of things as they came together. They came together as a family. They had all, all things common, the Bible says. They had one mind. It was because of this book, of the truth of God's word. That's what will unify us. So let's not look at all these little petty differences. You know what we ought to do is learn to dis. And I, I think I don't. I don't. I'm not pointing out any problem. I, as far as I can tell, it's it's that's the way it's going on right now. But we ought to learn to disagree agreeably. But when it comes to the truth of God's word, there again, there is no compromising there. 
But that's what unifies us together. And so Paul, or excuse me, let me back up a little bit talking about David here. He'd lost his joy because he allowed sin into his life. And the same thing will happen to you and I if we uh, uh, do likewise. If we have a wrong relationship with a brother or sister in Christ, that will also cause us to lose much uh, in our, our uh, fellowship with God. Paul had this joy that uh, others are seeking, they're seeking to have. No matter what happened to him, he had joy. Remember when him and Silas, um, was it, I, I want to say it's Acts chapter 16, I believe that's correct, where they were thrown in, they were beaten and thrown into prison for just preaching the gospel. And they were mistreated, abused, and they, they were in this dungeon. Uh, and it, it was not like the five-star prison system we have today. Uh, it, was a, it was wet, it was cold, it, it rat-infested, a miserable place. But here we find them in the midnight hour. Instead of there in the corner crying and woeing and complaining and grumbling. Or, or like, and, and by the way, those prisoners heard something that night they had never heard before. As Paul and Silas begin to pray and praise God. What in the world is that noise? Uh, we've heard men curse and threaten, <coughs> excuse me, to kill others. But we've never heard men singing like that and praising God in the prison. Well, you know what happened there. God was glorified. But my point is, Paul had that joy where he was able to say, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice, even when he was in prison. That joy is something you cannot have taken away from you. See, now we're more prone to look for happiness as human beings. And we think uh, that happiness will come from some circumstance or some material thing. And, and as much as we try to find it, it's like a mirage. We reach out for it and it vanishes away. But here's this joy. Happiness dep is dependent upon the circumstances, what is, what's going on in our life. But joy, it doesn't matter if it's bad times, good times, we can always have that joy of the Lord. Nehemiah had that joy. Listen to this. <coughs> Nehemiah 8.10, For the joy of the Lord is your strength, he said. He had that joy through all the trials, all the opposition that he had in Nehemiah. 1 Corinthians 3.8, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. You know, there's joy in serving the Lord. Your part and my part, I, it's, there's not a, a more important position in the Lord. We all are of equal importance. Uh, some may do the watering as far as planting the seed and then come and some do the watering, uh, begin to continue to teach that truth to an individual. And, but God is the one that gives the increase. So in other words, here uh, there is joy in serving the Lord, even if we don't, we're doing what God has told, told us to do, and there's joy in that. For that individual will one day receive rewards, the one that has, is just obedient to the Lord, may not see the uh, fruit right away, but they're obedient, and they'll hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then the church at Ephesus lost something. 
Revelation. Let me take you back there. In Revelation chapter 2. <coughs> Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, the Lord tells this church at Ephesus, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and has not fainted. Boy, if it stopped right there, that's great. What a testimony. What a faithful church. A body of believers that were striving to do the right thing. But look at verse 4. The Lord says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. I hear it over and over in these days, it seems like more than I have, where either a woman or a man will come and say, you know what, I'm I don't love my wife anymore. I don't love my husband anymore. And um, I've, uh, so th therefore they, they're looking for a way out or whatever it may be. But um, there's a lot of Christians who've lost their first love. Um, you know, you're, you're not as close. You're not as close now as you were when you first got saved. Then you've lost your first love. If you don't have a real passion, you remember how it was, uh, uh, you that are married when you were dating and, and uh, you tried to, to uh, boy, you were excited. You wanted to spend all your time with that other individual. You uh, would, uh, for some of us, that lost art of writing letters and notes and, and um, uh, trying to pour out our heart and, and to that individual. And uh, there was excitement, there was a, a joy, there was a zeal, and that's what it used to be. You remember when you first got saved, when you realized that you were headed for hell, and you called on Jesus Christ to save you, and he saved you, he forgave you, he cleansed you, and he, he has blessed you, and boy, you were excited, you wanted to be in the house of God, you wanted to be in the world, you wanted to talk to the Lord often. But things have kind of cooled off, and like it, like it happened. Here at Ephesus, boy, they were still involved. They were still doing the work, and uh, they were doing uh, things right, but they had lost their love for God. Well, the, uh, uh, John chapter 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, the Lord, keep my what? Keep my commandments. I think we talked about that this morning. And so... You know, we get to the place, it's always dangerous for those who have been saved for a long time, it seems. And they begin to think, I don't really need to be in church that much. I don't really need to read my Bible every day or as much as I used to because now I am mature and a, a dangerous thing. And that's maybe what happened to Ephesus. Let me give you my last point here, and that's about King Saul. He lost something. Saul had lost his courage. Back in the book of 1 Samuel, we, um, we were there not, well, I guess it's been a couple years ago, we were uh, in 1 Samuel and studied that on Wednesday night. But look with me if you are there, in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 11. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 11. 
Saul, King Saul, had lost his courage. And it says there in verse 11, 17, 11, when Saul and all Israel heard those, those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Here is Goliath out in the field cursing God, defying the, the uh, God of Israel, and challenging <coughs> King Saul or anyone in Israel to come and fight him. No one. The king himself, King Saul, was afraid. He'd lost his courage. Uh, they had forgotten the words of, of Samuel back in chapter 12, 1 Samuel 12, in verse 24, it says, Only fear the Lord. Saul, you don't have to fear the Philistines. You don't have to fear that loudmouth giant. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. But if ye shall do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. And that's what happened. King Saul began to get away from God and focus on himself. And um, he was afraid. He lost his courage. Uh, sin has done that. His arrogance, his pride, his, his sinful ways. Um, they, uh, you know, tonight, Christian, let me ask you, have you lost your courage to speak for the Lord? Have you lost your courage to stand up for what you believe in and what is true, what is right? Isn't it sad that we have, seem to be living in a society where people are in, in, living in sinful, abominable ways, and yet they're bold, boldly proclaiming that they en enjoy this, and that you must accept it, that this is good, and yet Christians who have faith in God are oftentimes silent. Don't even want to mention the name Jesus Christ for fear of offending someone. Uh, we've lost in our society any shame, <clears throat> any guilt, and, uh, uh, and Christians, I think, are at fault a lot of times because we refuse to say anything. People need to hear the truth, not with an argument, but they hear the truth in a heart, with a heart of love. Um, make Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, a sincere prayer of your heart if you find yourself losing your courage to stand for God. Listen to these verses. It's Ephesians 6, verses 20. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Boy, praise God. That's what we ought to be praying for, that we'll have the boldness to open our mouth and present the gospel to a lost and dying world. It goes on. It says, uh, to make known the mystery of the gospel, verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in bonds. Paul says that, listen, we are representatives. We are ambassadors of God on this earth. And how are we representing the Lord? Ambassadors. Uh, I'm an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. If we had an ambassador of the United States in some foreign land that refused to speak on behalf of America, but rather tore America down, by the way, that has happened, they ought to be removed immediately. Those ambassadors ought to represent America and, and promote America 
And you and I, Christian, we are representing God to this lost and dying world. So we are answering to God. We don't answer to them. And let us be, let's pray for this kind of boldness that the Apostle Paul had and you and I can have, that we will open our mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel because we're an ambassador. We're a bond slave to God. We, he owns us. He is our master. So yes, there are things that we as Christians can lose. But for us, <clears throat> there's always hope of regaining those things we lose as a Christian. It is never God's will that these things be lost in our life. God doesn't want you to lose these things that these individuals we've talked about here this evening, if, like Lot, uh, if, if you feel like you've lost your family, don't give up. There may still be time to win them back. And I know there's been some real heartbreaking stories of family members. They can usually break our hearts more than anybody else. But don't give up on them. You may be the only one that's praying for them. You may be the only solid individual in their life that when they get to the bottom that they have that, to, to look up to and, and call out to. So don't, you know, if, if like Lot, you think you've lost your family, don't give up. And if you've have lost the joy of your salvation. The good news is that it can be restored unto you just as it was unto David. And you remember when he found that forgiveness and that restoration? The, one of the first things he did, he talks about that in uh, Psalm 51, is he started to teach others. He had that joy again. And he wanted to let others know about his relationship with God. And so Psalm 51, verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. As a Christian, yes, praise the Lord, those things can be restored. And if you're an unbeliever, the Lord is asking you to come unto him. He is the way of salvation. Well, tonight, the Lord doesn't want anything to be lost in our lives. It doesn't have to be. God wants you to have, uh, live life in abundance. John chapter 10, read that chapter. He wants us to have that abundant life fulfilling life here on this earth doesn't mean everything's going to work out for our you know uh, the, the way we think it should but we can live life to the fullest and so God is asking you know wants us to live right right now Christian let's be that bold witness for him we don't want to lose anything we don't want to lose that that um, uh, firm faith and belief in the doctrines of the word of God know the word stand on the word Proclaim the word. Father, I pray now you'd.